All righty, looks like everyone's ready here. All right, why don't we pray? Uh, good morning, everyone. Why don't we uh, get started in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this day. Thank you that you have blessed us with a church family. We pray that we will have um, just an understanding of all these different scriptures today. Help us to apply it. Help us to learn and, and grow. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, what you've been doing so far uh, in this year. Uh, help us to uh, not forget it. Help us to remember it and to tell others about just the great truths we're learning. Uh, thank you for all you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe you've uh, wondered, what is God's will for you? Maybe which school you will go to, who will you marry, what car should you buy? You want wisdom for decisions you have to make soon. The topic of God's will can be a bit complicated or complex, but there's certain aspects of God's will that we can know since he has revealed them to us. As we finish up our topic in the communicable attributes of God, we're going to consider the topic of God's will, and I pray it will encourage us to do God's will. Now, before we jump into the remaining communicable attributes of God, let me remind you of the ones we've already discussed. All right? So, last week, we looked at a group of three attributes. First one was the attributes describing God's being. Remember there, we were learning how God is a spirit, John 4, 24. He does not have a body, uh, and that also, that he is invisible, right? You can't see God and live. Um, obviously him being spirit and, and not having body. And, and so we learned a little bit about God's being. He's invisible. He's a spirit. And then we talked about mental attributes. If you remember there, we learned that God is all-knowing, omniscient, right? Uh, he knows everything, past, present, and future. He is wise. He is the wise God. He does everything right. And then, of course, God cannot lie. Uh, it is impossible for God to lie. And so he is full of truth. He is the truth. Those are some mental attributes. And then we jumped into moral attributes, right? God's goodness, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his peace, his righteousness, his jealousy and wrath. And, and these are all great, good qualities of God. His goodness, he has given us so much, right? His love, he has loved us to death. Uh, mercy has shown us mercy. And, and of course, he is, like Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy. And then peaceful, right? He's a God of order. He's structured and, um, you know, he, there's no chaos in God. And of course, he's right. He does what is right. And we also talked about those other two attributes that maybe nowadays people don't like to highlight. God is a jealous God, right? We, we saw that connected to the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's why he says, do not make a carbon image uh, or an idol uh, after me. And then, of course, God has wrath. He is just. Um, he will punish sin. And what we learned about last week, of course, the beautiful gospel where uh, because of Christ and him dying for us, according to Romans 3, um, God can be just and God poured out his wrath on his son so we can be forgiven of our sins. And so all of God's attributes are beautiful uh, and we need to uh, talk about all of them. And so today we're going to continue here with some more attributes. We'll finish up this study in the attributes of God uh, with the character of God. Right? We're talking about communicable attributes. You remember communicable, God shares these attributes with us. Right? We can understand it uh, to a certain extent here. 
And so how is God like us in attributes of will and in attributes that summarize his excellence? We're going to look at um, these attributes of purpose, right? Attributes that have to do with making and carrying out decisions. And we're going to look at the will, freedom of God, and omnipotence, right? God is powerful. He is sovereign. And then we're going to look at these last attributes. Really, they're called summary attributes that applies to all attributes or to describe some aspect of all the attributes. So we're going to look at perfection, uh, God's blessedness, right? That God is uh, beautiful, He is beauty, and, and lastly, glory. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And why don't we begin with a definition of will. God's will is that attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for his existence and activity of himself and all creation. In other words, God's will has to do with deciding and approving the things that God is and does. It concerns God's choice, choices of what to do and what not to do. Uh, when you hear about God's will, what do you think of? What's the first thing you guys think of? God's will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what he wants. Say it again, John. Not my will, but your will be done. Uh huh. Talking about Jesus, that's a beautiful. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. But Jesus is praying for uh, God's will, right? God the Father's will to be done, not his own will, because um, he wanted the cup of wrath to pass uh, by him. But of course, he knew that this was God's will, and so he he did it willingly. So, yeah, good. God's will. All right. So that's the definition. Why don't we talk about God's will in general. And, th- and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. So if you have your Bibles, you can get ready in Ephesians 1. Um, so God's will in general. Scripture frequently indicates God's will as the final and most ultimate reason for everything that happens. Right? How do you know it's God's will? Well, if it happened, it's God's will. We'll get into that in a second. So look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, your New Testament. We've got a lot of scriptures here about God's will. And the first one here is Ephesians 1, verse 11. It says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works, here it is, all things after the counsel of his will. And uh, you can translate that also who continually brings about everything in the universe according to the counsel of his will, right? That's in the present uh, tense there. And so God is continually uh, doing his will. It's not like at the beginning of creation, God said, this is all going to happen, and then he just snapped his finger and then just sits there and says, okay, waiting for the next thing to happen. No, God's will, um, yes, he has decreed from eternity past, but he is actually uh, working, he's actually doing, um, and, and... continually bringing about uh, everything in the universe according to the counsel of his will. All right, and then uh, Revelation 4.11, uh, you don't have to go there. There we learn that all things are according to God's will. It says here, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and here it is, because of your will they existed and were created. I want you to go to Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 4, verse 32. Uh, book of Daniel is very key for us to see God's will in action. 
And here we have King Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> who thinks he's powerful, who th he thinks he's in control because he's a king, right, king of Babylon. And, and he thinks that he is uh, sovereign, but look at here, Daniel 4.32 and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. Right? This is God uh, telling what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Right? And so, obviously, we know King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, though he was very powerful, very rich, he wasn't really in complete control. It was God who was in complete control. And he humbled him, made him eat grass like a cow, um, pretty much made him lose his mind. Uh, and, and God can do that. God is, is that powerful. Another one, talking about human government, God's in control of even human government. Romans 13.1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. All right? And so we see many ways that God's will is in action here, human government, but also, and we just mentioned, I think, John, uh, the cross of Christ. God's will was done at the cross of Christ. Go to Acts 4, Acts chapter 4. I want you to see this here, um, really important, to see that the cross of Christ was God's will. You know, some people and historians and, and unbelievers, they, they say, oh, poor Jesus, you know, the Romans got him. Yeah, you know, the Jewish people turned them in. Oh, but they don't understand that, no, God had a purpose with this. God had a plan. Acts 4, 27 to 28. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And here it is, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, there's the group, to do whatever your hand, talking about God, and your purpose predestined to occur. And so that didn't catch God by surprise, the cross of Christ. No, he, that was part of God's will, obviously, for the salvation of our souls, our redemption. And I'll give you one more. Uh, quickly, go to James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 to 15. I think this really sets it up as we're talking about God's will today. You remember this from our study a couple months ago in James chapter 4, 13 to 15. All the events of our lives are subject to God's will. Look what it says. Come now, you who say tomorrow or today we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And so very important for us as we're talking about God's will to understand we are not even guaranteed tomorrow. We might think we have some control over our lives and say, well, we're going to do this tomorrow. Uh, these people obviously were specifically being prideful because they were really focused on their money and they didn't have God in mind. And they're saying, let's go and make some money. Uh, and what if tomorrow's their last day? And so just a reminder that we do things because ultimately it was God's will. And we'll get into some discussion questions about that because um, I'm sure that can get a little dicey uh, how we define that. So let's continue here. And I want us to look at a couple of God's uh, aspects of his will. The first one, and this one kind of goes hand in hand with 
uh, God's free will. And this is necessary will. So God's necessary will includes everything that he must will according to his own nature. And so what does God will? He wills himself. God cannot choose to be different than he is or to cease to exist, right? So God eternally wills to be uh, or wants to be who he is and what he is. So obviously the word there, very easy to think about, necessary. This is God's will that is necessary. Without this will, God wouldn't be God, right? We see a little bit of that in Exodus uh, 3, Exodus 3, where he says, I am who I am, right? Uh, I am has sent me to you. So God has always existed. He is self-sufficient. Uh, what's his name? I am who I am. Um, understanding that God has always uh, been in existence. Um, any questions here on God's necessary will or anything about God's will in general? Something that stood out? All right, everyone's tracking. We, um, ultimately, we know God's will uh, is done in our lives. All right, let's jump into uh, free will. I think this one would be a little more interesting. So yes, God has a necessary will. Um, uh, without that will, he wouldn't be God. But what about free will? Now, this one is a, an interesting topic. Uh, I'm sure we can get into it a little bit more. Um, but God's free will includes all things that God decided to will, but had no necessity to will according to his nature, right? God's decision, uh, one of these uh, examples would be to create the universe. Again, we, we go back to what we learned uh, earlier. Is everyone on board? Everyone agrees? God didn't have to create the universe? You tracking with me there? He didn't have to, but he decided to. And uh, also talking about the details of creation and God's act of redemption. So did God have to save us because he needed us? No, we would say God um, wanted to save us, right? He decided to save us. That is part of God's free will. He, he made a decision, and, and obviously we know we're thankful for that decision of his redemption. And so God decided to create the universe and to redeem us for his own glory. We see that in Isaiah 43. Remember, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I've created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Once again, a reminder, we are created uh, by God for his glory. It's all about God, and God has the free will to go and do as he pleases. All right, so talking about necessary free will and then free will, um, then we jump into something a little more interesting, God's secret will, God's secret will. So God's secret will. There are many other aspects of his plan that he has not revealed to us, uh, to his people. Um, we don't know exactly what God's going to do tomorrow with our lives, right? And so there's many details about future events that we don't know, right? Specific details of hardship or blessings in our lives and so forth. And so God's secret will will usually include his hidden decrees by which he governs the universe and determines everything that will happen. And so he doesn't usually uh, reveal these decrees to us, except we have the prophecies uh, in Scripture, right? So we have uh, an example of God's secret will. Um, in the Old Testament, right, we have uh, the prophecies of the Messiah. And it's talking about uh, that one will come to redeem his people and all these uh, different details that we get from the Messiah. And so uh, that is God's secret will. And then... 
in the New Testament, obviously now we know, it has been revealed that it's Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so that's one uh, aspect where it's hidden for a while, but then it's revealed. Uh, and so these decrees uh, are really God's secret will. And because the secret will of God has to do with his decreeing of events in the world, this aspect of God's will is sometimes called God's will of decree. All right, God's will of decree. All right, so a couple of scriptures here, and you can turn with me there. Uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, fifth book of the Old Testament, or Torah. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Where do we see this in scripture? Notice here, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. And so as you notice what we're doing, uh, a little different than the book of James, uh, we're doing systematic theology. We're using a lot of scriptures to point out uh, these truths that we have. And so we're going to different texts. And this is one that proves uh, that the secret things belong to the Lord, right? There's things we do not know. What about this example? Uh, you don't have to go there, but Genesis 50, verse 20, talks about Joseph. And what happened with Joseph there is uh, Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And so, obviously, Joseph didn't know God's will at the time. Um, him being sold into slavery and... Uh, him going to prison, him being mistreated, so many different things that happened in Joseph's lives. Um, even his dad showing him, uh, you know, that uh, favoritism and all these different things uh, really wasn't good because, you know, uh, it eventually uh, led to his demise. But the point is, here you have someone like Joseph who uh, wants to follow God's will, but of course he's going through so many trials, so many temptations, and, and, and maybe he's thinking, man, what is going on here, right? This is a lot. But we see there God had a secret will because he was working it out where he would eventually be in Egypt and he will uh, eventually provide for uh, his family. And this is where Israel like, blows up and basically um, uh, they are multiplying like crazy. And then the next Pharaoh obviously gets jealous and wants to uh, kill them all and then he enslaves them. But the point is that here we have God's secret will. All these trials, he's like, why is this happening? Like, why am I going through this? But then... Afterwards, I mean, the jealous brothers didn't understand at the time, but Joseph says it clear. He says, God did this for good. And he had a good purpose with this to uh, preserve many people. And so uh, God's secret will, uh, maybe some of you, I don't like secrets. Or maybe you're like, uh, but I, I just want to know already, right? I'm getting anxious not knowing. Just tell me, God. Uh, well, it's, it's good. God's secret will is good. Uh, sometimes it's better for us not to know things at the present time. Um, and then when we find out, oh, it's, it's just more beautiful when we find out. So, so that's a little bit about God's secret will. Um, I'll give you one more. You can go to 1 Corinthians 4.19. 1 Corinthians 4.19. Uh, here we have Paul saying uh, to the Corinthians, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I should find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. And so, of course, um, Paul wanted to visit his brothers in Christ, right? He had a desire to be 
uh, whether it be uh, with the believers in, in Rome or the believers in Philippi, Colossae, all these different places in Corinth. And, but he understood if the Lord wills. He knows that it could be his last day tomorrow or God could just redirect him, right? The Spirit did that a lot in the book of Acts. Redirect him somewhere else. And so we need to have that acknowledgement that there is this uh, secret will of God. Any questions there about God's secret will? Like I said, it's a little more interesting than the other ones. All right. Look at, uh, let's consider now the other aspect of it. So secret will, revealed will. Uh, this one's a little more straightforward, right? God's revealed will usually contains his commands or precepts for our moral conduct, right? God's revealed will is sometimes also called God's will of precept or will of command. And you guys know the commands, like God says, do this. We can think of the Ten Commandments, don't do this. Um, that's God's revealed will. We know uh, what he has declared to us, what we should do, and, and what God has commanded us to do. And so God's revealed will really is all throughout Scripture here. Uh, in Matthew 6.10, let me... Uh, let me get that for you guys here, Matthew 6.10. So we see here that uh, in the Lord's Prayer, what is going on there? What, what is, what, you guys know the Lord's Prayer. What's the first thing that uh, we're supposed to be praying? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's... Exactly, yeah. Pray in this way, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying for the Lord's will to be done. And, and we know that, um, that this is part of his will, to do what he wants us to do. And, and some of that is uh, forgiving others, right? Um, and, and obeying him, lead us not into temptation. What about Matthew seven twenty one? Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And so lots of good scriptures here just talking about God's revealed will. Um, how do we enter heaven? Well, obviously we need the Spirit of God to regenerate us. We need to understand the gospel um, but it's those that do God's will, right? And you're not going to want to do God's will unless you've been regenerated. Uh, and so it's really important, uh, you know, good to do some self-examination. Am I doing God's will, right? Am I doing what he's commanded me to do, which is love God and love your neighbor as yourself? Um, or am I like those that are going to, on the last day, God's going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because what were they doing? The contrary, they were not doing God's will. They were disobeying God's will. They were doing their own will, essentially, uh, by being selfish and proudful and, and sinning, uh, disobeying God. All right, another one here. Ephesians 5, you can go there. Ephesians 5, 17. Talking about God's will, God's revealed will. What is God's will? I, I think a lot of us ask that question. Uh, but we see that in Scripture, we have a lot of answers to that question. Ephesians 5.17, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so then we get a couple of uh, examples here. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. 
And then speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks for all things to the Lord. So, really important for us to uh, understand what the will of God is, right? And God has revealed it to us in Scripture, uh, and that is to obey Him, do the commands God has told us to do, repent of sin, trust in Jesus. I don't know if I should uh, sleep with this girl. That's not my wife. What do you mean? God's revealed will is do not commit adultery. Yes, you do know. Um, I don't know if um, I should be watching this show that has a bunch of depravity. Well, yes, you do know. God says do not lust after a woman uh, in your heart. And so we see throughout many scriptures that God has revealed his will for us, right? Do uh, abstain from sexual morality, right? Flee from these things. And so uh, a lot of people like to excuse it and say, well, I don't know if this is uh, right or wrong. Well, if you're not reading the scripture, if you're, if, also obviously your conscience God has given you, um, we, we need to really be in God's word. If, if we want to obey God's will, we have to know God's will, and, and we're going to know it through the scripture. Uh, lastly, in John, uh, 1 John 5.14 uh, talks about um, obeying uh, God's will and, and basically praying according to God's will. Let me just give that to you here. Uh, 1 John 5.14 It says, This is the confidence which we have before him. That is, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? And so we want to do God's will. We want to pray and say, Lord, please uh, help me to do your will. And, and God has given us the confidence or the assurance that, yes, if you pray, if you ask the Lord um, according to his will, he will do it. And so that is another beautiful promise in scripture that we have here. All right, any questions or comments here about God's revealed will, God's will in general? Because um, we're moving along to the next attribute. Uh-huh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get there. So, yeah, um, this one in particular, we're talking about God's free will. Um, so we'll get into that one in a little bit. Uh, so just wait like three or four more slides, okay? Yeah, we're, we're, you, yeah, jump the gun a little, but we'll get there. Yeah, but there what we're teaching is that God um, has a free will. He can do as whatever he wants, and he can decide to do what he wants and determines. But good question, we'll get there. All right, so God's freedom. God's freedom is that attribute of God whereby he does whatever he pleases. Nothing can stop God, nothing um, can deter God from what he's going to do, right? He is not constrained by anything, and uh, he is free to do whatever he wishes to do, right? He's under no authority. God is the authority. Uh, We see that in Psalm 115, verse 3, right? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Uh, And then in Proverbs 21, you're you're thinking about uh, the king, um, and, and the king, again, like Nebuchadnezzar, who thinks he's in control, but he's not. Um, God is the one that ultimately uh, guides him there. I, I guess uh, that would probably be a really good scripture to look at. So go to Proverbs 21. Um, I want you to hear it for yourself here. 21, verse 1. So it says, The king's heart is like channels of water, in the hand of the Lord, 
He turns it wherever he wishes. Again, just stating the same fact that kings are not ultimately in control. It's God. So if you think about President Biden, you think about um, any country with these uh, kings or presidents, whatever, they're not ultimately in control. God is. And then also Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth, no one could ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Right there, eventually, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to the realization that, yeah, he's like a worm before God. He is nothing. He's like dust. And he says, look at God's will. It will be done. Um, no one can ward off his hand, right? Uh, no one can stop him. Um, and so some good imagery there. And so God is free to do as he pleases. And so this kind of goes hand in hand with God's omnipotence or his power, his sovereignty. Uh, God's omnipotence. So what does that mean? It means that God is able to do all his holy will. Uh, this refers to his own power to do what he decides to do, right? And we know that God's power is infinite. Uh, God cannot will or do anything that would deny his own character. And so there's so many scriptures. I'll give you a couple, not too many here. Uh, so just kind of listen for it. Uh, talking about how God um, is uh, powerful, right? God is powerful. Psalm 24, 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And I like this one in Genesis 18. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And, and, and that is a, a really important uh, concept to understand. This is during Abraham and Sarah, and they're having a child at old age, and they're, you know, some of them are laughing, what's going on here? This can't happen. Uh, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And of course, we know he ends up doing it. Um, he uh, gives them the ability to have another, or have their first child. Jeremiah 32, 17, and this one states it out uh, explicitly here. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. All right, so there it is. Nothing is too difficult for God to do. Ephesians 3.20, a really good verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, right? He can do more than you can imagine. You might pray this simple prayer, God, please help me in this area. And then, boom, it's more than you thought. You know, he, he just answers that prayer ten times fold, right? Revelation 4, uh, 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, right? He's the beginning and the end. This is a, a powerful being. This is God Almighty. Luke 1.37 pretty much sums it up there. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so God's power is infinite. Um, I, I like throughout Scripture in the Gospels, you, you kind of hear this sometimes. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So here you have these Pharisees who are trusting in their lineage. They say, well, you know, Abraham's my father. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. You know, because they're, they're very proud in their Jewish uh, upbringing. And Jesus sets them straight and tells them straight up, God, you know, I can just say to these stones and God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So, you know, just picture yourself, picture a stone. It's just beautiful imagery as well, just showing just how amazing God is, how powerful he is. And I'll give you another one. 
Exodus 32.10, talking about God's power being infinite. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. He's talking to Moses. He could have easily restarted with Moses after the people of Israel were just full of wickedness and sin and rebellion, and he could have just started again with Moses. That is how powerful he is, right? And so that reminds us that uh, uh, ultimately maybe you think, oh, God needs me for whether it be anything um, at your job or at the home. Well, actually, no. Uh, God can raise up uh, someone else in your place. You're replaceable, okay? Uh, and God is, God is that powerful. All right. Um, talking about omnipotence, we know that, uh, of course, God can do all of his holy will. M- many times we kind of just stop there and we say God can do anything. But we know God can't do everything in the sense of he can't lie, right? It's impossible for him to lie, and so God, of course, does all uh, that he has to do, um, and he doesn't deny himself. Even though when we are faithless, he is faithful. He does not deny himself. So God can't deny himself. Um, and then James 1, 13, right? God cannot tempt us to do evil. He is not tempted by evil. So there are some things God cannot do, but of course he can do all his holy will. All right, any questions here before our discussions? Just talking about God's uh, omnipotence, his power, his sovereignty, um, right? What's his sovereignty? That uh, It's that exercise of power or rule over his creation. Um, all right. So just some, I want to hear from you some discussion questions and kind of, we'll go back to Joe here. So do we have a will? Joe, what do you say? Do we have a will? Talking about God's will, do we have a will? So let's start with the basic. Do we have a will? Yes or no? Yes, we have a will, right? We're not robots. We can uh, make real choices, right? God obviously makes real choices. But do we have a limited free will? Yes, I would argue yes. God is the only one who has uh, a complete free will uh, to do as he pleases. Again, I go back to Nebuchadnezzar. If he had a complete free will to do whatever he wanted, he would continue to be king. He would continue to be proud and boastful, but no, God has complete free will. He easily made him into like a, an animal with the mind of an animal eating grass. And so just important for us to understand um, that God is in control, complete control. All right, and so then my question for you is, how do you explain talking about God's sovereignty? Also, there's human responsibility with that. Anyone want to crack that puzzle there? God's sovereignty and God's human responsibility? Because it is a good question to think about. Someone else, by, except for Joe. Joe's been talking a lot. Anyone else? All right, Joe. Looks like uh, it's Joe Day. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that um, in probably a couple weeks, maybe next month, about God's providence. And we're going to talk more about God's uh, or our free will and how it's limited and all that. Um, 
Compatibilism is the term. Uh, but talking about today with our free will, um, we know that Jesus, um, or God in general, has complete free will to do as he pleases. Think about Jesus. He willed his life at the cross. No one can just say, I'm gone, right? No one could just say, I'm done with my life. He, he literally willed his life away. Um, that was amazing. Efren, you had something? Yeah, I'm not actually that question for sure. I mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a paradox, right? Seems like a contradiction in Scripture. Uh, But we see it in Acts 2.23. It says, This man, talking about Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge, kind of like what Joe was saying of God. But then it says, Peter talking here, his sermon, You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. And so he's talking to the Jews and whatnot. So um, there is this parallel, right? Uh, God's complete free will, God's complete sovereignty, and it runs perfectly aligned with our choices, God's, or, or our human responsibility. And so there's really no explanation, but there's just an understanding that both are true. God is completely in control, and yet we make real choices. Um, Yeah, yeah. There's nothing that shocks God. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Efren, back to you. Yeah, it's definitely not um, an easy, just quick answer. It's more of like a whoa, God. I don't know how you do it, but that's amazing. Um, but good. Uh, I think it's important for us as we're talking about this because there's a danger. Um, of speaking about evil events as happening according to the will of God. Now, let me explain this. So some people might be like, well, the Holocaust, right? Um, God planned it, right? God willed it. And so let's blame God. You know, God is evil and all these different things. And they start blaming God for sin. Now, yes, we will make the point or argument that everything that happens um, is God's will, but that doesn't mean he delights in sin. When Joseph was getting beat up, right? Or when Joseph was getting sold into slavery, God wasn't like, yes, my plan is working. I can't wait because eventually... uh, No, God obviously uh, agrees with those who grieve. God wants to comfort those who need comfort. Um, And so we need to understand this is a great mystery, right? Yes, God is in complete control, but it doesn't mean that he's responsible for our uh, sinful choices, right? Our actions. And even... We, we talk all, all about the sin and stuff, but even going back to what Joe was saying in salvation, you can argue, say, well, I chose God. But okay, remember what Scripture says. Um, uh, he chose us first, right? Um, the reason why we choose God is because he chose us. Uh, the reason why we go after God is because he humbled our hearts, right? He, he changes our uh, heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so just a proper balance um, in these discussions of God's will and, and our will is really important. All right. Moving right along here, we got five minutes, so we'll finish up with some summary attributes of God. I won't give you all the scriptures here, but just keep in mind that God is perfect, right? God's perfection means that God completely possesses all excellent qualities and lacks no part of any qualities that would be desirable for him. There is no quality of excellence that it would be desirable for God to have that he does not have. He is complete or perfect in every way. Right, you see that in Matthew 5, 48, God is 
Um, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What about God's blessedness? Uh, we see many scriptures, uh, 1 Timothy 6, that talk about God being the blessed God. Right? God's blessedness means that God delights fully in himself and all that reflects his character. Right? God is happy within himself. The focus of God's happiness or blessedness is connected directly to his own person who is worthy of joy or delight. So that's a reminder of um, what is it that you have not received in 1 Corinthians 4, 7 that wasn't from God, essentially, right? Uh, everything you have uh, is from God. And so all good things are from God, and, and God delights completely within himself. Again, a reminder, he doesn't need us to be happy. Beauty. God's beauty is the attribute of God whereby he is the sum of all desirable qualities. God does possess all desirable qualities. We find our ultimate fulfillment in God and no one else. All right. And there's one scripture I, I definitely want you guys to check out here. So go to Psalm 27.4. Notice David, right? David really reminds us of this truth of God's beauty. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 4, says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to what? Behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. God is beautiful. David understood that, and that's what he wanted, just to behold more of God and just how beautiful he is. Similar, uh, Psalm 73, verse 25, is, Whom have I in heaven but you, but besides you I desire nothing on earth. And so when you start to have this relationship with God and you really just understand how amazing he is, what's going to happen? You're just going to want more of God. You're just going to want to say, there's nothing else that I want. I want you, O Lord. And, you know, maybe you've had those times with the Lord in prayer and communion and, and deep fellowship with him. Uh, even when we come to church, when we're reading from the scriptures, um, we're hearing the preaching, uh, it's, it's God speaking to us through his word and, and really uh, should happen. But uh, just being convicted by his word and uh, it really does uh, make you want to follow him even more and, and fall in love with him more. So God is beautiful, and we see that throughout Scripture. Now, I'm going to finish up here with one more, and this is not an attribute, by the way. Uh, this kind of is just uh, something about God, uh, and so this is talking about God's glory. Now, uh, that can also mean the bright light that surrounds God's presence. So we're not talking about like praising God, glorifying God. We're talking about um, this literal light that shines. Remember, uh, we talked about how God's a spirit, God is invisible, uh, but there is this glory uh, of God. Um, it's that created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself, right? And, and so uh, it's talking about, and you can read scriptures here. I'll just give you a handful. Uh, Luke 2, 9, Revelation 21, 23, talking about how the glory of the Lord will illuminate um, you know, us in heaven. Uh, it's Psalm 24, 10, he's the king of glory. Uh, remember... Um, at the birth of Christ, with the shepherds, angels, all those uh, different um, details, there's the glory of the Lord that's shone. And so, talking about splendor, brightness, uh, it's this visible manifestation of God's excellence of his own character. 
And the interesting part for us is that we were made to reflect this glory. You, you look at 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 18, uh, from glory to glory, right? So we're growing um, and being conformed to the image of Christ, and we're growing. And it's not like we're going to be shining bright and all that. It was shining really bright today. No, but there's this uh, reflection of his character, all right? So some application questions here. Uh, this one uh, really hit me this week. Can you understand why David's one desire above all others in life was to behold the beauty of the Lord? Uh, really important for us. Uh, I think it really shows you where you're at in your spiritual walk with God. If you realize that, man, there's nothing better than God. There's nothing better than Him. And, and so... Um, if you understand that, that's, that's David's desire. That's what he asks for. That's what he seeks, just to behold his beauty. Is that your prayer this morning? Is that your prayer throughout the week? I just want to behold you more, Lord. And, and, and in the trials, you, you understand that God is with you in it, and you start to see him more. And lastly, what is wrong with the world's definition of beauty, and what is real beauty? Start to think about that uh, throughout your week. You know, am I thinking or saying these things are beautiful, but they're really not. That's just what the world is trying to define as beauty. Or am I really thinking about what real beauty is, which is God and, and goodness and pure um, aspects of life? You know, Dwell on these things, Philippians tells us. All right, in summary here, uh, just kind of wrapping it up, God's will is good, right? It is free. It's unlimited, right? Which means he can do as he pleases. He is in complete control. His power doesn't compare, right? Think of any president, king, ruler. Doesn't compare. God is in complete control. He is perfect. He is blessed. And he is beautiful. And so may we trust him uh, throughout the trials of life. And may we reflect his beauty. Next week, we're going to look at uh, another really important topic. The Trinity, right? God in three persons. How can God be three persons, yet one God?